Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Um, Please pray with me again, and we will continue. Lord, thank you for um, uh, Levi's um, decision there to play that song, be lead us in that song. Um, um, coming into the sermon portion of the the service here, uh, it's just sweet. I'm I'm overcome here with how sweet it is that you that you do speak to us. And it's, a, it's just a really sweet privilege that we have to be together and open up your word and hear from you. So, um, uh, so I pray that you'd help us. Just simply help us to hear from you this morning, Lord. We want to hear. And we want to be shaped. To be ever more Christ-like. So we know that would be joy for us and it would be glory for you. And so help us there, Lord, please. Amen. Yeah, excuse me, I'm, I'm just, I'm overcome by how sweet it is that the Lord speaks to us. It's amazing. Yeah. So, so I'll try to get myself together here. Um, it is really good to be with you. Um, if you. If you don't happen to know it, uh, maybe you are a guest with us today, or maybe you've just started showing up with us uh, recently on Sundays. My name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here with the church. Um, I'm not normally the one that's in the pulpit, but I do get the chance to preach every four to six weeks or so. So um, here I am again, and I'm happy to, to be here with you. Um, and with, with, uh, with the, the sermon that I uh, preached last, which is about a month ago, I started us into the, a, a sermon series on the book of Proverbs, okay? So this, um, this, this really amazing book that is mainly concerned to help us in the pursuit of wisdom, it's really what Proverbs is about. And so we're going to go ahead and continue on in that book today. We'll get into chapter 2. Um, and uh, just in light of the fact that this is sermon number 2, if you, haven't, uh, by ch- if you weren't here by chance with the last time I preached about, about a month ago, I would encourage you please to just go online and, and look up that first sermon in Proverbs. Not because I think it's the greatest sermon in the world, but I just think there's some helpful background information there, some helpful introductory comments that I made that sort of set the, the scene for this sermon series. So if you can, I would encourage you to um, go online and uh, watch or listen to that as you might have an opportunity. So we're, we looked at chapter one, or, or some of chapter one, last week, um, and uh, so we'll get into some of chapter two this week, just a reminder, I don't intend in moving through each chapter of Proverbs to sort of hit every word and every line of every chapter, uh, but just try to grab what I think are some major uh, helpful things to highlight. So we'll get into some of chapter 2 today. And with chapter 2, I think that what we have here is basically an extended appeal, um, an extended appeal to strive for wisdom. Work hard to get wisdom because there is great benefit in wisdom. There's great benefit. There are many benefits to it. I'm going to point out just two that I think are highlighted in this chapter. Number one, knowing God. Wisdom helps us to know God personally. And then number two, equipping. Wisdom equips us to face uh, certain dangers that are in life. 
It equips us to face certain dangers. So we're going to go ahead and read here all of chapter 2, and then we'll press into these things a, a bit. Excuse me. So if you happen not to have a Bible, by the way, I think we've got, that'll be on the, the words will be on the screen behind me. Proverbs chapter 2. Uh, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come, uh, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked, who are devious in their ways. And so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth, her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed, none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. And so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. All right, amen. Well, again, I think that you can get a vibe there that there does seem to be a, a uh, essentially an extended appeal there to seek wisdom, to go after it because of its benefits. Um, and you can see right there in the first verses really just like the impassioned nature of this plea, just even in the first few verses, receive my words, this father figure is saying. Treasure up my commandments. Be attentive. Incline your hearts toward these things. Call out for it. Cry out for this. This is an impassioned plea to get wisdom. Um, seek it like hidden treasure. That's an impassioned plea. Um, you know, I, I, I don't do much of this anymore, but an earlier version of me uh, used to really enjoy running. I can't do much of it anymore. And uh, I've run a few marathons, a few half marathons uh, over the years. I think we have a picture here of some of my loot, some of my booty, my treasure. Um, Really not a big deal, uh, to, but uh, those aren't first place, plot, first place prizes or anything. But, but I, I used to really like running, and I did a few of these silly marathons. And, and you know, some of you have, have done this as well. And they're just the amount of time, the amount of energy that goes into just the amount of money even that goes into even just a single marathon, let alone three and plus three other half marathons. It's a lot. Um, even just the uh, expense to get into one of these things is a lot. It takes hours and hours and hours of training over weeks and weeks, and it, it hurts. <laughs> um, I mean, as you're, as you're uh, acclimating your body to run five miles, and then 
and then 8 miles, and then suddenly you're running 12 miles, and suddenly you're running 18, and then 22, and then it's race day, and it's 26.2 miles. And it hurts. It's exhausting. There's, there's physical fatigue, mental fatigue, thirsty, hungry, tired. Uh, I remember one of my marathons, I, I, at about mile 20, my legs, I, I think, literally turned into blocks of concrete is what it felt like. Uh, but then in a different marathon, like no physical problems at all, but my brain, my mind, I was in another world. I mean, just fog, strange, weird thoughts, and just goofy things happening. So, I mean, the mental fatigue, the physical feed, uh, fatigue, it takes a lot. And all of that was for this treasure, you know? All of that was for the feeling of crossing that finish line and, and getting a medal and, and having a sense of achievement uh, uh, in that. I was... Uh, strangely, I enjoyed that, you know. I mean, I wasn't being forced to do this. Uh, as my wife pointed out, I didn't have a bear running after me down the street or anything. I mean, I, I wanted to do this. I was looking for something that I wanted. I was pursuing a treasure. Uh, so do I seek wisdom like that? Do I go after wisdom with that kind of intensity, that kind of passion, that kind of commitment? I never could have run a marathon without basically being fixated on it and basically be totally preoccupied with it for several months. Is that the way that I seek wisdom? Is that the way that you seek after wisdom with that kind of intensity? That's the spirit of the appeal here. And we don't just drift into it. We, 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 we've, we've got to go get wisdom. We've got to go seek it. We've got to work hard. Again, that's the spirit of, of these verses here. I had this friend uh, at, in, it, at Bethlehem Baptist where I worked previous to coming to CRC, and uh, he, uh, he loved the St. Paul Winter Carnival treasure hunt for that medallion. And he, he would, so he would, he would take vacation days every year and commit them to searching for that medallion. And he just loved it. He loved looking at the riddles, loved breaking apart the clues, loved getting out there and pounding the pavement and digging through the snow and everything. Uh, just, just loved it. Um, I think that medallion is worth like $10,000 or something. Uh, and I'm pretty sure he never won it. Uh, never found it, I don't think. Didn't matter, he just loved it. Loved the hunt. He was seeking after it hard. He loved it. He was passionate about it. He was happy to do it. And it was worth all the effort. And, and that, again, is the spirit of the appeal here uh, that, this, that, that this father figure is making. It's worth it. It is worth running after wisdom. It's worth putting a lot of effort and sacrifice and enthusiasm because, again, there's great benefits. I mean, what, why is it worth it? Because there's benefits. I'm going to point out two of those benefits. As I mentioned, number one, knowing God. This benefit, the primary benefit is that we would know God Wisdom helps us to know God. Um, you can see that in verses 5 to 6, if you look there again. Verses 5 to 6, if you do verses 1 through 4, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and you'll find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. So that, that's the primary benefit of seeking wisdom. It's, it's If we seek for it diligently, why do we want to do that? Because if we do... We'll understand the fear of the Lord and we'll know the, the knowledge of God because God gives wisdom, because it comes forth from his mouth. Wisdom helps us to understand God. It helps us to know God because God is the source of wisdom. God himself is the source of wisdom. So we could say from verse 1, wisdom is his words, his commandments, and so on. 
Now, verse 1, in immediate context, that's a father figure appealing to a son, but ultimately that is God appealing to us today. This is God speaking to us today. Uh, Tremper Longman says this. He says, where do we find the words of God's mouth? He says, in light of the authority with which the Father's words are delivered here, perhaps we should say that the Father is Yahweh's mouthpiece, and therefore, by extension, that the Father's words, as written in the book of Proverbs, are from Yahweh's mouth. I think that's well said. Or Ray Ortland says this very simply. He says, the Bible is the mouth of God today. So in pursuing wisdom, we are in fact pursuing the words of God. We're, we're pursuing God. We're pursuing his commandments, his promises, his instructions, and so on. And I think that highlights the fact that ultimately wisdom is about a person. Wisdom is about God. And so get this, in searching for wisdom, growth in wisdom is all about, it is ultimately about growth in a relationship. It's a growth in a relationship with God. And so if we're truly seeking wisdom, then inevitably that treasure map is going to lead us to God. Inevitably, we are led not to just sort of one next clue, one next fact, but inevitably we are led to not just a new piece of information, but God himself. We are led to God himself. And, and um, uh, so we're led to um, this one actually who is very happy to offer wisdom to anyone who will diligently seek him. Now there is a bit of a paradox here. Uh, we're told to seek wisdom because if we do, then we'll understand God. We'll know God. And yet, verse 6 says that it's the Lord who gives wisdom. And so which is it? Do we, do we get wisdom um, in order to fear and know God? Or do we fear and know God in order to get wisdom? Uh, and the answer is yes. And yes, this is a paradox. I mean, there, it's just a paradox. Um, Longman says this, Again, uh, Tremper Longman, he says, the reasoning of this section seems circular, and in a sense it is. Seek wisdom and one will find God. Find God and one will gain wisdom. Uh, but he says, and I think this is well said, he, he just says that this emphasizes the deep connection between wisdom and God. So there is a paradox here. Seek wisdom and one will find God. Find God and one will gain wisdom. There's this paradoxical a reciprocal relationship between wisdom and God. And I think that just serves to emphasize this deeply, really inseparable connection there is between real wisdom and God himself. In other words, we could say, in other words, there really is no such true wisdom. Not wisdom in the biblical sense. There is no such thing as true wisdom apart from God, apart from God himself. Or said another way, um, in the words of verses 1 to 3, we cannot be wise apart from receiving his words and storing up his commands, being attentive and inclining our hearts in his direction toward his instructions and to pray and to ask him to cry out to him for, uh, for his voice of wisdom in our, in our lives. And so it begs the question then, I think, 
do we have the voice of God to hear today? Do we, can we hear him? Where is it? How do we hear him? And as I mentioned earlier, the answer to that is yes. We do have God's voice for us today. We have that in the Bible. This, this is God's word to us today. Again, as Ray Ortland put it, very simply, the Bible is the mouth of God for us today. And so we, we, we cannot truly be wise apart from hearing God's voice today. And we hear God's voice most clearly in the pages of the Bible. Now, I think we can look at nature and we can hear something about God. We can hear his voice in a sense in that. I think he gives spiritual gifts that help us to hear from God. But if we're talking final authoritative voice of God, it's the Bible. We have that in the Bible. Um, So we need to read the Bible if we're going to be wise. But don't get me wrong here. A person can read the Bible and not be wise. But a person cannot be wise without reading the Bible. So a person can read the Bible and not be wise, not end up being wise. But a person cannot be truly, fully wise without reading the Bible. And uh, as we read the Bible, we read things like Matthew 17, verse 5, where God the Father says of Jesus, he says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I, I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Or we read Matthew 7, which says, here Jesus is speaking, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And so seeking wisdom, uh, growing in wisdom, that leads us to know God more deeply. And as we do, we ultimately come to Jesus. And we ultimately see that he is the one to listen to. Listen to him. Believe in him. Trust in him. Follow him. uh, Obey him. And as we do that, we draw closer and closer to God's heart, to his character, his commands, his promises, his desires. And all of that just draws us into more deeply, more truly knowing God personally. And there is a paradox to this, um, but it's really not unlike the, the, the overall Christian life, really. I mean, we love God because he first loved us. And we choose to follow hard after God because he chose us first. You know, he, he says, work out your salvation. And he says, I'm working in you to, to work that out. So there's a paradox here. Um, but, but being chosen and cho- choosing God, that changes us. Change happens from inside of us. You can notice that in verses 9 to 10. Uh, verses 9 to 10 again. Get wisdom and then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. Every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. That's change taking place there. So as we go deeper with God, that changes us from the inside out. God's words enter into our heart. And we grow then in understanding God's heart with regard to things like righteousness, justice, equity, and so on. Those are things that actually become ever more pleasing to us. 
And so we start to think, think of things like that less in terms of I ought to, I ought to be righteous, and more in terms of I want to and I get to. I, I want to be righteous. I, I, I get to be righteous, actually. I want to be just. This isn't a chore. I want to be equitable. So what's pleasing to God becomes ever more pleasing to us. And then with ever-increasing skill, we'll be able to work out truly righteous, truly just, truly fair um, ethics in our personal lives, in our relationships, our marriages, our families, and in, and in our uh, community. And those concepts, by the way, righteousness, justice, equity, those are going to come up in, in future chapters of Proverbs, so there'll be more to say about those things uh, in weeks ahead. And so, so practically then, this chapter is essentially a summons to the, this, this basic means of God's grace. And you all know it. The, read the Bible. Read the Bible. Um, but don't just read it. Make a priority of it and receive it. Treasure it up and, and, and uh, cry out for it. Again, treasure it up and, and so on. And, and, you know, Jesus said that, that these words of his do those. Hearing and doing. So not just reading, not just hearing, but storing up, uh, treasuring, doing the words of God, the words of Jesus. That's... That's wisdom. That's how you gain wisdom. Not just by hearing, but hearing and doing. And that is how you will know God. He'll, he'll, he'll change you from the inside out. And, and, uh, and just make note of the, what I see as a very relational aspect of this. Uh, God is a person. So God is not a, a, a book. He's a person. And, and so we engage with him in a relationship. And like... Any good relationship, there is speech involved. There's conversation. There's communication. So God speaks to us. And he does that, again, primarily authoritatively in the pages of the Bible. And you know, the, the, just this dynamic of, of God being very personal and him speaking to us in the Bible, that dynamic is actually at the, really the foundation of my story in coming to faith in Christ. Um, some of you have heard a little bit about this, and I, I won't go into huge detail here, but just when I was 15 years old, um, I was uh, away in Montana with the youth group from my church. I think we have a slide here. Flathead Lutheran Bible Camp there in Montana. Just, I put that up there because that piece of geography, it's, it's significant for me. Um, uh, one night when I was there at that dot on the map, I had this... Just this impression, this strong impression. And I don't know if I would call it a vision. I don't know if I'd call it a dream. I wasn't, I wasn't asleep, um, but it was dreamlike. But whatever it is, I don't know what I'd call it exactly, but I had this very strong impression of Jesus himself being there tangibly in the room with me. And I have this, and, and he referred to the Bible and I can hear it crystal clear. He said, this is how you will get to know me. He referred to the Bible. There, there, are, there are fuzzy details about that. This was back in like 1990, I think. But that is crystal, that remains crystal clear in my memory. Jesus was with me in that room. And it, and it was weird. It's not like, he wasn't like looking at me face on. He was like kind of off to the side of me, like shoulder to shoulder. 
And, uh, and he referred to the Bible, and he said, this is how you will get to know me. Wisdom has to do with receiving God's words. God's words. Treasuring up his commands. Tre- trusting his uh, promises. And we get those things in the Bible. We get, those, we get to, to, to know Jesus with wisdom. In other words, with God's words. His promises, his commands, his instructions, and so on. These things that we have in the Bible, wisdom leads us to knowing God. And so that's a primary benefit of seeking wisdom. It's knowing God through the pages of Scripture and ultimately in uh, and through trusting in Jesus. It's knowing Jesus and, and he changes us from the inside out. And so more and more our pleasures unite our pleasures, my pleasures and Jesus' pleasures unite more and more. What's pleasing to him becomes more and more pleasing to me and for you. So that's a first benefit, uh, a pretty good one if you ask me. Then a second benefit that I'd mention here, um, wisdom equips. Wisdom equips us to face dangers in life. Um, wisdom protects us. Wisdom delivers us from various life dangers, and especially there are two of those dangers that are highlighted in this chapter. I don't know if you caught them. Um, Namely, from verse 12, verse 12 again, and also verse 16, but verse 12 again, wisdom delivers you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. And also from verse 16, wisdom delivers from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Um, now here too, actually, these are some characters and some things going on here that um, are going to show up several more times in the book of Proverbs in later chapters. And uh, so um, there will be more to say about these characters down the line. But I do just want to make a few comments here this morning related to them. And these are comments related to the power of words. The power of words. So just notice here the, the place of words with these characters. In the case of the evil men, and in the case of the adulteress, in both cases the temptation comes through words. So verse 12 again, these are men of perverted speech. And by the way, I think that the, the men there are the same as the men in chapter 1, verse 19. These are men who are greedy for unjust gain. So... So they're greedy for unjust gain and they will use this perverted speech to tempt you into greediness, to tempt you into, to stir up greed in your heart and, and stir you up to move on for that. And then verse 16 again, the adulteress. She has smooth words. So we have perverted words, we have smooth words. And in light of that, remember that wisdom has to do with receiving God's words. God's words. His commandments, his instructions, his promises, receiving them, treasuring them up, seeking them, listening for them, and really hearing them and following them. Uh, and here, temptations come through words. So the, the seduction here by the adulteress. It's interesting. It isn't, it isn't, a, it isn't a matter of her physical beauty necessarily in this particular case. It's not her, her hair, her eyes, her figure. It's not that that sort of um, is initially the, 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 the point of the spear of the seduction. 
Um, no, it, it, it comes in the form of words. Suggestive, seductive words. Flattering words. Actually, that's really the sense of this idea of smooth words here. It's, these are flattering words. And so this, this woman will tell you not what God says, but she will tell you what you want to hear. She will tell you what you want to hear that will make you feel good, that will make you feel happy about yourself, will make you happy about her, will make you feel good about the choices that you want to make that you think will make you feel happy, whatever that might be for you. Whatever that might be, smooth words, flattering words. Words can be really powerful. So for the man in the office, and you've got a coworker, you're a man in the office and you've got a coworker. Her hair, her hair, her eyes, her figure, that might tempt you to linger, to look a little longer. But if she's a woman of evil intent, it's going to be her smooth words, her flattering, her flirty words that will get you even more interested and move you a step closer to her. Her words will get you laughing. Her words will get you feeling wanted and respected and puffed up about yourself. Her words will do this to you. Oh, boy, her words will get you questioning the state of your marriage. Boy. You know, maybe my wife doesn't respect me like this woman does. I think I'm crying here because I think somebody needs to hear this. I don't know who it is. It's her words, her flattering words that are going to suck you in. Again, they'll get you laughing. They'll get you feeling good about yourself. They'll get you feeling puffed up about yourself. They'll get you questioning the state of your marriage. They'll get you thinking, my wife doesn't respect me like this woman. My, my wife doesn't laugh at the, my jokes the way this woman does. Or my husband. You could flip it around. It could be a woman at the office, and there's a man at the office. Whatever your office is, my husband doesn't appreciate me the way this guy does. The way he talks to me, man. Or, or whatever it might be. But words, words will get you second-guessing God's words. Flattering words, perverted words will get you questioning God's words. You'll question his words about healthy marriage and healthy sexuality. It's like, that, like the devil tempting Eve in the Garden of Eden. You remember that. I mean, did God really say? I mean, did he really mean that? Maybe the Bible doesn't actually mean the thing that I thought it meant. It, it must mean something different in light of how I feel right now. So practically... I, I would use the phrase, fight fire with fire. I think you're familiar with that phrase. So here's a firefighter, I think. 
One way to defeat a forest fire, you probably know this, is to start a backburn, a controlled backburn. And so you start a fire, uh, kind of a fire line out in front of the main fire, and you, and you feed that fire back toward the main fire so that when the main fire hits the, the control burn fire, there's, everything's burned up in front of it. There's no more fuel. There's no more fuel for that main fire to keep advancing. That's kind of the idea with fight fire with fire. And in this case, it's words. It's perverted words. It's flattering words that are the fire. And so we need to start a controlled fire, a backburn. We fight words with words. We fight words with words. If you're seduced to think or to question, did God really say? Fight that Fight diligently to seek wisdom, to search for it like hidden treasure. How do you do that? You ransack the Bible for, to, to, be, to know and to be reassured of what God actually says about these things. Now, that's, not, that's certainly not the only way that you fight temptations. I'm not saying that. There are other ways. But this is the starting point, and you're not going to win that fight without this. What does God say about marriage and about sexuality? What does God say about your worth? What does he say about your sense of value? What does God say about that as opposed to what somebody in the office is saying about that? In fact, remember, that's a major way, excuse me, that's a major way that um, Jesus endured temptations of the devil when he was in the wilderness. I'm sure some of you can remember that. Uh, you can see some of this stuff in Matthew 4. Jesus fended off temptations of the devil in the wilderness. He, he, he held off a barrage of Satan's attacks, and he did it every time by countering Satan's words with God's words. Countering the devil's words with God's words. And so the devil would say one thing, and Jesus would essentially say, No, it is written, dot, dot, dot. So the devil would bring his fire and Jesus would sort of do this backburn with God's words in Scripture. Now, interestingly, I actually think that it is interesting that at one point, Satan even pulled from Scripture and he actually tempted Jesus with God's very words from Scripture. He used God's very words to tempt Jesus, he t- but, but he twisted them. He said, well, it is written, and he quoted Scripture, but he misapplied Scripture. He, he twisted Scripture. And that's a bit of what's in view here, by the way, with this perverted speech. What does it mean that speech is perverted? Uh, and I want us to hear from Ray Ortland on this. I think he's helpful. So Ray Ortland says this. He says, Perverted speech is not limited to bad words and dirty jokes. It includes even good words. But words being used to turn things upside down. Upheaval, turning things upside down and inside out. That is the force of the Hebrew behind the word perverted. Words should represent reality. They should be true to what is said or what is. But words can be used to twist reality. Words can be used to flip meanings into their opposite. In politics, for example, listen for the way people use a good word like patriotism. In sociology, Listen to the way people use a good word like family. In religion, listen to the way people use a good word like Jesus. Bad men use good words to smuggle in bad realities. And some people are fooled. 
And so again, just want to note the place and the power of words in temptation. Wisdom comes from receiving and treasuring up God's words. And that leads us to, to knowing God more deeply, and then, then that changes us to better understand and find real pleasure in living out righteousness and justice and equity and so on. Finding real pleasure in living out these things that, as God defines them. God changes us to do that. To be foolish, on the other hand, it's to be taken in, it's to be deceived, to be tricked into thinking that God didn't really say what he said, or he means something different than what we thought he meant, and so on. And I think we can see that all around us today. Um, Good words used to turn things upside down. Good words used to smuggle in bad realities. Good words used to smuggle in bad realities. So think of words like tolerance, love, justice, kindness, marriage, and the list could go on. I mean, do we define those words as best we can understand them from Scripture? Or is there another source that's giving us our definitions? Verse 6 again, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So if we will follow the appeal of Proverbs 2, then then we're going to search diligently for wisdom. And God is inviting us into that this morning. And that will lead us inevitably to God's word in the Bible and to, to know him in Jesus more and more deeply. And in the security of that relationship, then I just say, may the Lord help us to to, to, to spot and to smell perverted words a mile away. And may he give us the grace to spot and to smell smooth words a mile away. And then to start a backburn with Scripture. Start that backburn with Scripture out in front of it. And then to be truly righteous and just and fair in our relationships and in our, in our community. Truly just and fair with your spouse. Truly just and fair um, in your neighborhood and in the church. So coming to a close here, you know, more than any smooth word or perverted word, may the Lord help us to believe this word, what the Apostle Paul calls the word of the cross. The word of the cross. That word, the word of the cross, that's the greatest of God's words to be received and to be treasured up. That word is the word with the most power to, to, to help us throw off the, 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 the entanglement of temptation and deliver us from sin when we fail and when we give in to temptation. So 1 Corinthians 1 says this. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. We preach Christ crucified. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the word of the cross, that word says that Jesus died for your sins and he rose again. And that word says that if you will believe that, then you will be forgiven of your sins and you will be pulled into a favored relationship with God forever secured with God and with his people. And that word says that God loves you and God enjoys you and God respects you. That word says that it was because of that Because of that great love with which he loved you, Christ died for you. Because of the great love with which he loved you, God chose you to be in his family through Jesus. And now that word says, look to Jesus. 
Look to him. Follow his example. Jesus is a few things for us, and one of the things he is is an example. So in seeking to be wise and fight temptation, do what Jesus did. Pray. Cry out for help. Cry out to God. Uh, Remember and hold fast to his promises and to his commands. And then when you fail in that, when you fail in that, keep looking to Jesus. Jesus is your example. But more than that, he is your savior. Jesus is your savior. So look to him and and receive his loving and gracious and merciful forgiveness when you fail. Receive that. Receive the word that says when you failed, Jesus never did. And Jesus doesn't. Jesus never gave in to temptation. And he did that for you and for me. You know, Jesus didn't just die for us. He lived for us. Jesus lived perfectly for us. He was perfect for you. He was perfect for you. And keep looking to Jesus. Jesus is our example. Jesus is our Savior. And Jesus is our power. You know, re- remember the love and the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God to you in Jesus. And let gratitude for that motivate you. Let gratitude for that empower you to keep fighting, to keep seeking wisdom, to keep resisting folly. And remember that Jesus gave you the Holy Spirit to empower you to live a life that is pleasing to him. So draw on the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word of the cross, I think all of those are implied. All of those things are implied in that word, the word of the cross. So listen here to what I think are God's words to you this morning. He says, my son, my daughter. He says, I love you. Receive that word. Receive that word of the cross. Treasure up the commands and the promises of that word. Pursue that word like treasure, like that marathon medal, like that medallion hunt. Pursue that word like treasure. Strive for wisdom, and it will lead you to me, he says. And I will change you, he says. I will change you, and I will grow you, and I will equip you to face the dangers of life, especially the dangers of perverted speech and smooth words. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your words to us. Help us to hear you speaking to us in the pages of the Bible. And help us to treasure up your words and be strengthened in deeper knowledge of you, deeper personal connectedness to you, and 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 heftier strength and and skill in combating the temptations that we will face in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.